Hello there guys and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. This week I'm again joined by Matthew B. Lloyd, the golden age comic extraordinaire and host of the Classic Comics Podcast. Now if you tuned in last week you'll know that me and Matt spoke about his love of the golden age comics, the Star Wars comics from the 70s and 80s and a lot of weird and wonderful other things and this conversation is no different. It's a continuation of that conversation and we speak about these Star Wars comics and these Star Wars newspaper strips quite a lot so that's generally what we talk about this week. In the description there are links to many of the things that Matt is involved with, including the politics and Gotham book that he's involved with, the website he writes reviews for, his multiple contact details and things. All of those are in the description, so make sure you contact him to tell him how much you loved his appearance on this show once you've had a listen. And aside from that, guys, that's really it. So I'll let this conversation continue, but I'll be back at the end of this just to give you guys some insight of what's coming up over the next few weeks, what episodes I've got recorded, and a few other bits and pieces I've been involved with too. Make sure you check out these show notes and things because I give information on my Patreon, as well as all the other shows I've recently guested on, and that sort of stuff too. So without further ado, guys, here is, once again, Matt B. Lloyd. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. There's some races in here that look, yeah, that's a Star Wars race. And others that go, a human cat that looks like they escaped from the Cats movie. No, that's probably not, (laughs) that's probably not what, uh, you know. Oh, here's a frog. Here's a frog. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> and his name is Gribbit. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, it's a testing ground, it, isn't it? <laughs> it? It really is. But then, but then you have other stuff that's just you'll like have a spaceport scene that goes, oh, that's exactly what it would look like in Star Wars. That's exactly what a Star Wars spaceport mm-hmm. would look like. Um, yeah. So it's or, or this guy, this guy with half a half a head looks kind of like a a Cylon from Battlestar Galacta. Galactica half his head is a, a a robot, another half is human. I could see that as a st- that, that works, and the the and the facial he's got a big pointed ear and sort of a you know knobby head. I can see that. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a Star Wars character. Yeah, the the cat lady, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it is one of those uh, peculiar things isn't it because with like Star Wars is described as campy in some ways by certain individuals yeah. I would say a best way for me I don't think Star Wars is that campy I think Doctor Who is very campy now I, I like Doctor Who I don't I don't love it I've only seen bits and pieces of the old ones but I've seen all of the Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant and then a bit of the newer ones as well but I I was more to Star Wars and obviously when Doctor Who got rebooted in 2005. That's when Revenge of the Sith came out. So that's when a lot of the slew of Star Wars games and new resurgence of Star Wars fans came out. So I just had easy pickings. And one of the things I found is that with the sort of campiness is that Doctor Who has it a lot worse in certain areas. But with the Star Wars, it's a very peculiar thing because... I mean, when you think about it, having a guy in a big blue, a big black outfit, breathing heavily, talking about joining the dark side, that is quite lame and quite campy. <laughs> it's like my, my, I love Star Wars. Like, it's one of my favorite things. But you, you look at that on paper, you go, what? That doesn't, what? And they're shining light swords and they're fighting with them. That, what? But then you see it and you go, this is amazing. <laughs> this is so immersive. You feel like you're in this bizarre, campy universe. But then when you do delve into the, the other content, there's certain books uh, and there's certain other content where you get into it. And it just, it gets so weird. It's it's almost beyond saving. And it, I would just be interested to know your thoughts on where the line is. Because see, Jackson, the, the talking rabbit person, <laughs> that's probably a bit too much for Star Wars. But like... Jabba the Hutt, the giant slug, isn't, which I am, I'm agreeing with you, but it's yeah. just like, there's that weird disconnect, isn't yeah, there? There's of- like, a, I guess, a silliness aspect. Like, like there's nothing silly rooted in uh, this guy all dressed in black with a uh, terrifying uh, sounding voice that sounds like he's got heavy breathing problems at the same time. You know, there's nothing that there's nothing inherently silly about that. But a giant pink rabbit, there's something silly about that. Just like, just like, just to keep it all within the movies. It's almost like, uh, you know, Lucas read those old comics and said, now how can we make something really silly for the movies? Oh, Jar Jar Binks. You know, that kind of, to me, Jar Jar is. He's like a frog rabbit person. Yes, exactly. It's like, he is silly. I mean, he's got the floppy ears even. You know, he is silly mm. to me, you know. And 
you know, maybe the Ewoks aren't silly. They're just like too cute and lovable. It seems like something added purely for merchandising and marketing it to even littler kids. Because here's something interesting. Um, you know, I saw Star Wars, the first movie as a kid when it first came out, loved it, totally immersed, was just like, I need these toys, need to buy toys and the trading cards and, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. We're playing Star Wars in this, you know, and outside with uh, uh, the, the little cardboard uh, rolls of uh, wrapping paper, you know, you unwrap, wrap, and the, those are our lightsabers. You're, oh, you know, yeah. we we did that empire comes out oh my gosh it's even better than star wars this is awesome oh my god luke's his sister what you know <laughs> you know or not such a third movie but luke or darth vader's his dad no way oh my gosh and we're totally into it right by the time jedi came out I, uh, return of the jedi I, I had believe it or not i had lost a lot of interest that i didn't see jedi until a year later when it was at the dollar theater I didn't even care about mm-hmm. seeing it immediately. And I don't know if it was just the, the silliness, kind of the Ewok silliness. Like it, it, it just seemed like, I don't know, there's something about it. It seemed like it had, It didn't seem like it was going in a straight line. It seemed like it was changing tones for, you know what I mean? Because, I mean, the Ewoks mm-hmm. definitely don't fit Darth, the seriousness, I guess, of Darth Vader, you know, or the seriousness mm-hmm. of, you know, destroying the whole planet with the death star you know and honestly i thought using the death star again the second time seemed like oh we ran out of ideas how about the death star okay you know it didn't there could have been some other uh some other thing which is actually in here there's a one of the storylines in here that vader has this pet project that he's building another weapon that's going to be even greater than the death star that they have to destroy um (laughs) Legends does that a lot. Yeah. To be fair. In Legends, the amount of Sith super weapons and planet killers and stuff is like is one of those things where I I quite like with like I like the MCU. I like you know all that sort of jazz. But one thing I am getting a bit sick of in Star Wars and in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC and all of it is just when you've got something that's like. What happens if we fail? The entire universe is doomed. It's like, can we just ease a little bit back from that? It's not like every single time you watch an action film and it's like, there's a bomb. It's about to go off. What should we do? And you've got that counter going. And then it's literally always the last possible second they disarm it. It happens in Captain America 2, which is one of the best MCU movies. But I was watching it the other day, Winter Soldier with Megan. And it was really awesome. I still love it. I've seen it so many times. But I was just like, why did, can't they just have a bomb go off and someone just defuses it? not within three seconds of it going off. And it's the same sort of thing with the world ending. It's like, oh no, well, the world, the universe is going to end if we don't stop this bad guy. So, but now you, we know the universe isn't going to end. That's not how this film is going to end. If you said, I'm going to try and bomb this city, then you go, oh, well, the heroes could fail yeah. and that could lead to some really interesting stories. And obviously, I know Star Wars is a bit different because the, the, you know, one of the opening scenes is basically a planet blowing yeah. up. <laughs> but you see what I mean? Like, it's, it's just one of those tropes. And I know that Legends, they did it a lot, which I think is a part of the reason they recanonize stuff because I'm not saying all writers who do this are lazy, but it is a very easy thing to do to go, what's the big bad going to do this time? Well, we don't want to do this because it's too complicated for story. We don't do this because it doesn't jive with the movies. We can't do this. What should we do? Let's just have them have a weapon that can blow up a planet not quite as quickly or efficiently as the Death Star. Yeah. Like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> another one. And then, you, you know, you've got the sequel trilogy. You won't even get into that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let's have another Death Star. Okay, well, you know, cool. Instead of defusing a bomb at the last second, you can always just throw it off the end of a pier. <laughs> yeah or any any other thing i mean there's loads of those sort of things where i mean i watched the things wonder woman where she she throws it really high into the air and then she does to beat the last baddie in a room she clings her bracelets together and causes an explosion that blows the whole wall out so you're just thinking why didn't you do that sooner you not just (laughs) yeah like either do that first or don't get rid of a bomb and then blow something up when you're in the room oh weirdness is strange to this um I've vaguely lost my train of thought apart from super weapons and things, uh, which is what you were speaking about. Super weapons and the weirdness of uh, of Star Wars. So I have interest with this newspaper strip. Like how, storyline wise, how how long is it? One consistent story? Are there quite a few of them? I know you said there were the dailies and the Sundays, um, but I'm just interested in the book you've got. I guess there's maybe six storylines. So like, uh, Mm. and I think, and what. Interesting what they were saying and how they uh, broke down the 
reformatted them was they tried to do it so they would end an issue in a in a place that felt like an end. Uh, whereas initially, mm -hmm. I think uh, like all newspaper strips, they sort of continue and roll on, and you sort of introduce the next concept uh, at the end of of the of the preceding story. So uh, they they have uh, manipulated it enough that I can't tell if it was originally all strung together like you would expect in a daily in, in a newspaper strip or if they actually had ends where the falcon flies off and then the next day or the next sunday you would have a a brand new opening sequence that wouldn't be connected i can't i haven't been able to figure that because of the way they reformatted them but it feels like about hmm. six or seven individual stories that are being told Maybe maybe more maybe maybe more than that actually thinking about how many reprinted issues are supposed to be in here what intrigues me, I think, the most is obviously the fact that I never even knew there was a Star Wars newspaper strip. But when I was looking up and doing a little bit of research about this, um, I found out, because you mentioned on my Q&A episode as well, the Splinter in the Mind's Eye, oh. which I'd not ever heard of. And I looked it up, and basically when Star Wars came out, they obviously thought it was going to be a flop. Yeah. And then it wasn't. It was, you know, a massive success, which it should have been because it's excellent. And then they did this multimedia project, which they've since Star's has been a thing, they're always doing it. They they do it whenever a new film comes out or a new game or something. They release loads of content around the main product. And what I found is that the newspaper strips, Splinter of the Mind's Eye and the Marvel Star Wars comics, all of them were the the first ever expand it was called the expanded universe before it became legends right. so they were the first ever bits of content for the expanded universe now i'd never heard of splinter of the mind's eye um i've heard of the star wars marvel comics but only really because i've been getting into you know these new ones and whenever i look up stuff people are always talking about the comparisons and then the newspaper strips which aside from obviously the collection you've got i'm not sure if they were ever repeats of that like if i was a kid there were star wars strips in the newspapers, I would have gone mental. You know, Garfield is one thing, but Star Wars. <laughs> so it's one of those weird things with like a multimedia project where I think what Star Wars has always done very well is the marketing side. And obviously Lucas basically, he didn't, I think, if I'm remembering it right, please correct me if I'm wrong, but he basically didn't even really ask for many shares of what money Star Wars would make. He basically just got the studio to agree to give him almost every merchandising right. And then he just invested loads of money and time into, you know, the obviously, as you say, Walrus Man or Hammerhead. <laughs> and so because they did this, you had the kids who everyone, everyone's at least heard of Star Wars. And I think that's what you did. You've got it in the newspapers. You've got it in the comics. You've got it on the news, on uh, TV screens or, you know, cinema screens and things. You've got the toys. You've got the cereal. You've got everything. And it's just like, I wonder how much Star Wars can attribute its popularity to, to these these things you wouldn't expect. Like if you said to me, right, how important do you think a Star Wars newspaper strip is? I would have gone, sorry, if you asked me six months ago, I'd go, sorry, there was a Star Wars newspaper strip. <laughs> Clearly it's not that important. But I wonder if you went back and you only had the films out and maybe just the films and maybe the figures, if it would be as much of a buzz. Because I feel like every little piece of the puzzle kind of makes the set. I think uh, remembering the fervor there was over the toys. I mean, I remember when the Yoda figure was coming out before Empire that you could go and like pre-order it at the toy store and put your name down on a list so that when they a first shipment arrived, there were none to be sold unless you had already put your name down. I mean, that's and it was like, uh, I don't know, like six or seven bucks back then for like the brand new figure those little and it should have been like two bucks you know and i just yeah. remember being like god that's a lot and my mom be like that's a lot and i was like but it's you know, come here <laughs> come on mommy please you know <laughs> i'm only 10 years old buy it <laughs> but i sold a ton of those things and i i think you know with having the comics and the newspaper ship there, there was such a fervor and a hunger for content that the movie can only satisfy so much, you know, and back then you couldn't go and buy the movie and watch it. You know, you mm -hmm. saw that movie and you went, Oh my, I don't know how many times I've seen the theater, the first run. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm sure it was, you know, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Something ridiculous. And then like it would come mm -hmm. to the dollar theater a year later. You'd see it another three or four times in. And then finally, like probably just around the time, empire came out they probably showed it on tv finally so there's just no other it's like now we have these marvel universe movies and you can watch whichever one you want pretty much now 
because you've got a whole collection of DVDs or or whatever, or you've got the, the streaming service, and you can just go, I'm really excited about that new uh, Avengers movie. I'm going to go watch the last three, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and you can fill it and you can rewatch and get into the whole thing without having to go too far to get. But back then, as a kid, you had the movies that were when they were out, and then you had the toys. But then with the comics, you could get a Star Wars fix every month with a comic. And if your newspaper carried the newspaper strip, it, it probably did a lot of to sustain the interest over over time uh, between because that and mm-hmm. it was three years between movies. It wasn't you know they turn around some in two years now with some of the sequels they do, but it was a solid three years between movies back then, and it probably sustained the uh, the interest in the in the concepts and and they would uh, don't forget about the toys. They would keep releasing more and more obscure figures later, like uh like you would get like I guess you know Empire comes out and you get the initial figure set that includes like the new characters like Yoda and Boba Fett. And then a little bit later, I think it was a little bit later. They started coming out with the other bounty hunters that appear in that one scene, you know, Bach mm-hmm. and IG 88 and Dengar, you know, those guys, it's like, and then you get some other, you know, variant, maybe, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure Luke in the Bespin Fatigues was one of the first ones, but they they, mm-hmm. they would just have another set come out, another playset, another toy, another you know obscure character. That's the movie's been out for a year, but oh hey, remember this background character here? Don't you want to action figure of him? Well, nothing else to buy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All the Yoda figures are out, and I only have two dollars. Yeah. So let's get War Wars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, or, or Snaggletooth. That was the other weird one uh, from the first one. Because the, there was two different versions of him, a tall one and a short one. I was, I thought it was always weird. But anyways, yeah, I think it's the, uh, I think it probably did sustain the, the, uh, the interest. And because kids are constantly playing with the toys, you know, and I, I don't want to say it's a, a movie that only appeals to kids because it's, it's not true because plenty of adults back then enjoyed Star Wars. Uh, my wife mm-hmm. has a very yeah. different experience of seeing Star Wars for the first time. Uh, she's three years younger than me, so uh, she would have only been four when the first Star Wars movie came out. So, and back then you took your kids to movies. Everybody went, you know. You did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, well, you know, we're going to the movies and the kids are staying home. It was. A, I mean, you're taking your family. So, you know, my brother. Uh, not my brother, my wife's brother, who's two years younger. I don't know if he went. I can't remember that. He don't live in two. Uh, but my mm-hmm. wife clearly remembers. Them going to the theater and the dads in the neighborhood uh, wanted to see it. They were uh, uh, my wife's, uh, my dad, my father-in-law is a Marine. And so all the Marine dads in the neighborhood wanted to see Star Wars and all the kids were going to go to. And uh, there was that first scene I described earlier with the Star Destroyer coming over the top. You know, oh, my gosh. And she got up and said, I'm sitting in the lobby. No, thanks. <laughs> wow. Four years old. I mean. She's four. It's okay. At the same time, three or four years old, I saw Alice in Wonderland, and she fell down the hall. I screamed, and we left. So it's not uh, <laughs> it's not unheard of to have something happen when you're little like that. But that was the first time she uh, she went to the movies to see Star Wars. She didn't. She saw it again later, of course. Enjoyed it later on, but as a little little girl, that was just too much. <laughs> but uh, mm. what was my point about that? Oh, oh, adults. Adults also wanted mm. to see it, so there was excitement amongst adults as well for what came next not just kids and i think you know adults some adults probably went because their kids wanted to see it and they're like oh hey this is good and (laughs) they it wasn't like you know some movies you go to your kids with and you just did you have a good time honey oh yeah that was great great hope they don't make it (laughs) you know (sighs) but you know plenty of adults enjoyed it too so it's it's uh harry potter like Harry Potter, you know, mm. my kids were, well, the wife and I saw Harry Potter when it first came out because our kids weren't born yet. Uh, but when they were old enough and my daughter read the books, they wanted to see Harry Potter. I'd only ever seen the first movie originally. It didn't do a whole lot for me uh, on the first movie. Uh, but once my daughter got into it, we started watching them later. Sam, and we and we all enjoyed them eventually to the point where at the mm. end, you know. You, you, I really did want to go see it and see what happened. And it was, it was, it was a good series. Uh, but yeah, adults are interested. So you have this hybrid of 
kids and adults and the kids are uh, fanatical about it and there's toys and there's comics and they're and the excitement is is maintained between the movies so that when there's just a fever pitch and I, I don't know if the uh the comics themselves tried to lead you up to the uh the next movie in any way uh i don't i don't recall that i guess have to get the few issues before the empire uh uh, adaptation but but i know the comics would try and like in the newspaper strip here we were talking before we started recording about boba fett showing up and and that storyline is right after the uh the movie comes out uh empire comes out mm-hmm. so it's like he probably gets more coverage in this story than he does in the movie Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm sure he does. I mean, in Empire Strikes Back, he—I don't think he even talks in the whole thing. I think he's just there. I think he even does anything until like Return of the Jedi. Uh, well, doesn't he get Han at the end uh, of Empire? Oh yeah, uh, okay, yeah, he does. I suppose he. T- I, I suppose yeah. I guess the thing is, he tracks them. The whole point is, he's the one who tracks them and stuff. Yeah. Um, right. And then yeah, he—I suppose he does something in Equus, but obviously he doesn't have—he doesn't do anything badass. He doesn't have any really, you know, cool lines. Yeah. He just looks really yeah. cool and is just does a little bit. But then you have the holiday special cartoon, and you've got the newspaper strips, and maybe the—I don't know if he's in the comics as well. But like once they end, oh, that character looks cool. Let's just put him in all this other content because George Lucas didn't utilize him enough. And then by the time Return of the Jedi came out, and it's like, oh, Boba Fett's going to be in there for more than like two seconds. People are like, what did you just say? <laughs> Boba Fett is going to be in this movie more than a one. <laughs> the hype around him. And it still continues today. When, you know, he's in The Mandalorian and people went, I mean, I think he's a cool character, but like people lost their <laughs> minds when they, like, Boba Fett's going to come back in The Mandalorian. Like, oh my God, it's like my, my childhood. It's yeah. like, you know, since the 80s, I've been thinking about Boba yeah. Fett and he's never had his time to shine. It's just, I, I love the passion of people of the small background characters. And Boba Fett, realistically, he's not a big, massive character. He is now. Yeah. Yeah. But he wasn't then. You know, when George Lucas made Empire, he wasn't thinking, yes, this is the Boba Fett movie. He was thinking, no, this is the Luke Skywalker Darth Vader movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's so weird how things land. What's really funny about the uh, the way he's depicted in the comic, and when I say funny, I don't mean ha-ha funny. I mean he, he literally looks like the artist had the action figure in front of him to draw him. Like, like the jetpack mm-hmm. on the back looks much more like it does on the action figure than the movie um he's not mm-hmm. nearly as yeah i'm looking right now yeah so. he's not nearly as battle damaged in the uh in the comic as he is uh as he looks in the movie it's really kind of funny it's like uh, it's like mm-hmm. i can just imagine uh uh russ manning sitting there with a little boba fett yes exactly <laughs> exactly i think that that's my favorite almost him really closely looking almost at the camera in the panel yeah. when he's gone there yeah. I just, that's such a cool thing yeah, or is this? It, it, or, yeah. It, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say with with it as well because what some of the panels you sent me, the thing that I found the funniest was it's the panel here that I've got, and it's whereas it was the panel I think the panel after this, um, but it was the one where he's basically skiing, <laughs> and him and Luke have a conversation yeah, yeah. about skiing. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, and. It, it's, I'm trying to. Here you go. Um, yeah, it's got uh, Luke saying like a few. Um, it's hard to get a feel of these things, and you've got Boba Fett next to him skiing, <laughs> saying, "Just keep your balance. The more you lean the, the forward, the faster you go." And you're just thinking, so Boba Fett in before the new canon was giving Luke Skywalker skiing lessons in a newspaper strip. I mean, is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? <laughs> it is completely bonkers. It is completely bonkers, and and that's kind of the funny thing. It's like I just didn't expect luke to have a uh not just an encounter with boba fett but like a mini team up because they have to team mm. up and work together to get away from these weird looking whatevers they are that they're trying to escape <laughs> from i'm not even sure who it's supposed to be at this point but it's just like <laughs> I don't, almost like a like a oh almost like a, a baboon face like about mm. face that uh, like a mechanized baboon with the hair, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, it is quite funny, <laughs> but it is, as you say, it's quite stark because the two panels you, you, you sent, I've got 32 different uh, photos here from uh, you of, of various things for the listeners. And essentially... There's the one which is number 26 that you sent me, uh, which was where you've got Boba Fett uh, talking to Luke and things. He's right up close to him and stuff. And it's a really, really cool shot. And the panel before that was the skiing thing, which was really bizarre. Yeah. But then <laughs> a few panels after that, you've got him approaching uh, 
Han Solo and being quite fearful. You know, Han Solo tries to punch him in the face. He hurts his hand yeah, on his helmet, yeah. and then he shoots out his flamethrowers. And like that, that that shot, that image there, which I'll zoom in. Um, I'm sure you're thinking of the right one. But yeah, like, I pulled it up. I there. pulled it up. I've got it. I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. following along with exactly. You. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And when the flames are going past Han, he's just in the middle. Like that is a really cool panel. Like I really appreciate the art in yeah. that, and just the whole. Yeah, Han Solo punches someone in the, in the face. They're wearing a helmet. What's the first thing he says? He says, ah, blast it. Iron Pot is holding his hand. He's not even recognized the fact that he's being having fire shot at him. He has to have a quip in before anything else, which is perfect. It is. It is. Um, I thought it was also interesting that they're on a, a snow planet so that if mm. you just watched Empire and it opens on Hoth and you're reading the newspaper strip, you've got Boba Fett from Empire. And they're on an ice planet too, and it's a, mm-hmm. a neat. Uh, they're trying to tie in like what you were saying as far as you know, keeping it going. If these things, it's like that's mm-hmm. like a, to me an obvious. Well, you just saw the movie. Here's more content that's going to make you think of the movie, even if it's not the story or a sequel or a true prequel. It's using the same elements to tie in your your experience with the movie yeah that uh, mm-hmm. did, did he boba fett ever use flamethrowers like that in the movies uh i've oh got i should really know this um his dad Django definitely does um i'm i think he does i i i have thing is I, the problem is with me now is that i have so much knowledge about everything else that happens in star wars the when people ask me specifics about the movies now i'm like oh god is that like it's like was that the movie or was that a book or was that a comic or was that exactly a TV show or it's like, i'm trying to yeah. remember in my mind's eye it's like okay what am i seeing am i i'm i know Django for absolute certainty has a flame for I, i'm pretty sure i i think boba fett does have one but to be honest with you, I'm not sure you actually do see music. I th- I'm pretty certain you use it in the comics, which is the thing I'm getting confused by. Because he, and, it's funny as well, because in the in the canon comics, he, Boba Fett's the reason Darth Vader knows the rebel who blew up the Death Star's surname is Skywalker. That's all Boba Fett. He tracked him down oh, yeah. and has a fight with him in Kenobi's hut. And so Boba Fett is fighting with Luke in Kenobi's hut, um, basically trying to find more information about him. And Luke manages to use the Force and throwing something at him and escape without really fully understanding what just happened. And then Boba Fett goes back to Vader and says, oh, well, the only thing I know is this surname is Skywalker. I hope that's okay. And then Vader's staring out into space on a Star Destroyer and all of the glass around him just cracks. <laughs> and then the comic ends. Wow. That's like, that is cool. brilliant. That's it's really like, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool thing. But in all honesty, I I think in Return of the Jedi, I think he does use a flamethrower, but I can't be 100% certain, <laughs> which is terrible considering how much I like Star Wars. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> Excuse for another rewatch. I saw this and was like, he's got flamethrowers on his hands. That's really cool. Holy cow. <laughs> that's awesome. Why did I not know that? <laughs> that's what I thought. I mean, it's also, it's, it's one of those things as well where, with the prequels, like rewrote a lot of legends as well. That's another uh, reason because there's like there's these whole backstories about Boba Fett where in like the 80s and 90s, these authors, bless them, wrote these big storylines of who he really was, who his dad was, how he got into it, and then George Lucas made the prequels and went, "No, he's a clone. <laughs> yeah. Boba Fett is a clone of Django Fett." And you're like, "What? Who's Django? Oh, it's, that guy is basically the same. Yeah, it's it's like, the same thing. I mean, yeah. it's cool now. Yeah. It's cool. You know, now it's cool because you you get the whole thing of basically prequel era, the world's greatest bounty hunter was Django, and then the uh, sort of original era, the best bounty hunter was Boba. And that, that's a really cool dynamic and it works really well. But it's just one of those things where it's like, when you read these things where you go, oh, there's a newspaper strip where had flamethrowers. It's like, and this was, if this was before uh, Return of the Jedi came out, who knows that Lucas might have gone, oh, he's flamethrowers. That's quite cool. Let's just put that in there. <laughs> like, you don't know what influence it had in reverse, in a right, sense, if you know right. what I mean. Because yeah. a lot of the writers worked with uh, George Lucas. I know the guy who did Splinter in the Mind's Eye. He... He had the, I think he had the original script, which is called like Luke Star Killer, the Young Adventures of yeah, Luke Star Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had that. George Lucas let him have like early drafts of that script, and then I think when Star Wars originally then got released, and they weren't sure if it was going to do very well, Lucas let uh, this guy. I think it's Alan I think Dean it's Alan Foster. Dean Foster it is. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. right. Good, You're yeah. right. So they let him. Write the book, write basically the spiritual sequel to A New Hope, obviously to Star Wars, as it was called, without because they weren't sure if they were ever going to make a sequel. They're like, Look, if we can't, we'll just continue it via yeah. books. And so he let him look at early drafts of the script and things. And obviously, this guy had the ideas 
maybe before the full tweaks had happened uh, for the final production of the film, because obviously when a book gets released, it's not like, oh, the writer finishes it and then the next day it gets released. It's like, you you finish it, there's drafts and drafts and drafts and editing and blah, 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 publishing, and then it gets released. So it's like the timeline of when it actually all happened. I wonder if with a lot of the expanded universe, how much of a hand Lucas had in the, the newspaper strips or this or that. Because I know like nowadays... Dave Filoni and John Favreau are two of the main heads of uh, the new canon, basically. Oh, wow. And Dave Dave Filoni, he's the one who did the animate all the animated series and stuff. And obviously, John Favreau is doing the Mandalorian. Well, Dave Filoni's like friends of George Lucas. Like he has him in his phone, so he says sometimes we just have a Star Wars question, and he'll just call Lucas and go, "I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't know if it would work. What do you think?" And like sometimes he said he doesn't always take what Lucas says his word verbatim, but it's quite nice to have the person who created the character of. You know, if you create the character of Obi-Wan and you put him in the situation and you're not 100% sure how Obi-Wan would get out of the situation, you call the guy who created him and he goes, I don't know, well, he probably wouldn't do that. So I wouldn't go with that idea of yours. That one, maybe, but maybe you do something like this. And then he kind of leaves it and then Dave Filoni gets to sit back and kind of reevaluate things and work out how to go from there in the story. And I with I know with Splinter in the Mind's Eye, Lucas and Alan Dean Foster had some sort of connection there because... I think they had, there was an interview with one of them and they were talking about the other one. So I, I do wonder how much Lucas may or may not have had a hand in some of this stuff over the other way around. Um, I read, uh, and I can't remember what book it's in. I think it's the first, uh, I think it's issue seven of the original Star Wars comic from the 70s where they hmm. talk about, at least for the comic at the time, they uh, were said, they were told, you can't do this and this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. But you know, otherwise, you know, go ahead. So they knew there were certain things they couldn't deal with, but mm-hmm. otherwise they had things. To, so that's why you get, I guess, pink rabbits and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't told yeah. not to do no that. Can we do a talking rabbit in a spacesuit? Yeah. Um, there's nothing here that says you yeah. can't. Okay. Here we yeah. go. <laughs> so, so I guess they had a little bit of contact from Lucasfilm, if it was even Lucasfilm at the time, uh, if it was just mm. whatever it was, uh, you can do this and this, but or you, or you can't do this and this and this. So they tried their best, mm-hmm. I guess, to create new things and concepts without trotting on anything that they planned on, I guess. So it was, mm-hmm. and I guess there was probably somebody that was reading the scripts at some point going oh well you screwed up you can't do that here or oh okay you know mm-hmm. I, I guess at some point um i, I don't know it's a, it's a great what's so neat is that there's so much freedom because there was so the only canon was the movie and they were yeah. just let's tell some space adventure stories here so some feel more like uh you know flash gordon type stories some look more like that some look you know <laughs> just completely different than what you think of with star wars and then other times there's a sweet spot where you go that looks like it could be coruscant before it ever was shot in a movie you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing even if it's not coruscant, yeah, exactly. it has that kind of look you know something about the art i wanted to point out and i may have only sent one yeah. panel um after the the boba fett flamethrower stuff the next picture i think i sent you is just a shot of leia a close-up on Leia. Yes. Right. Now, Under the blanket. Yeah. yeah. The important part about that, and I guess I really should have sent the previous two pages just because you can see it kind of better there. Um, this storyline is drawn by an, uh, a penciler named Rick Hoberg, who I knew mostly mm-hmm. from uh, Batman and All-Star Squadron comics in the, in the 80s. But it's inked by a fellow by the name of Dave Stevens, and it's not the whole story. It's literally – the next the next page after they are have the little flamethrower bit the very next page mm-hmm. starts actually it may be the very next panel on the bottom of that page but i'm not sure um uh, is inked by a different artist by the name of dave stevens uh and have you ever heard of the rocketeer ever see that movie oh rocketeer? yeah the film i've not seen it but i know of it yeah, yeah well that was based on a very short-lived comic in the early 80s and mid 80s uh that is one of the best things you're going to read from uh, independent comics of that era. It was written, created, and drawn by Dave Stevens. And you can just mm. immediately see the difference in, in the art. I mean, there's a picture. I'll send this to you afterwards just so you can see it. There is a picture of Luke mm. here that is just – it looks so much like Luke 
or Mark Hamill. It's crazy. It's mm-hmm. just he's so good. And there's all of a sudden all this extra detail on Boba Fett's helmet with battle damage and textures and stuff. And then the picture of Leia just looks you can really see Dave Stevens. Hand. I know his work really well because I love the Rocketeer, mm-hmm. but you can really see his hand at work here. And it's almost like there's just a glimpse of this. There's nothing wrong with what Rick Hoberg and the other anchor are doing. But then all of a sudden you get Dave Stevens and it's like, oh, my gosh, Dave Stevens. <laughs> because I'll tell you, when I was reading this, I wasn't reading all the credits at first. And I'm I'm reading through and I'm turning the pages. I turn the page and I go, who's drawing that? Somebody else is drawing. So what what, what happened? And I and, and he's just inking it and his his uh technique with inking it and and finishing that is just so good. I just really wanted to point out because it's strange because it's only a couple pages. It is literally mm-hmm. uh maybe one two three four five six seven eight nine maybe twelve to fifteen panels. No, maybe 20 mm-hmm. panels that are, are Dave Stevens. And then it goes to another anchor, um, Alfredo Alcala, who is great in his own right, but he has a very different touch to mm-hmm. to the page than Stevens does. But I just wanted to point that out because I really love Dave Stevens' work, and uh, I felt it, I would be remiss if I did not point out uh, how wonderful those few pages of his work are. I will send you another shot of uh, – Mm-hmm. The, the two full pages that are that where you really see Luke and you get some of that Boba Fett battle damn because it's so it's just such a neat for the artist and and for the artistic listener that's interested in the art uh, as well as the story and all the the general concept stuff it's just you know and of course all the Al Williams and stuff is like that I mean I sent you one where there's a where you see that uh, uh, jungle planet I was talking about and it really you can really see how al williamson is was this the panel you're talking about yeah yeah that jungle planet there it's weird, it's weird i was on that one specifically because i was i was just looking at this art and i was going to say in this panel that you sent me this is probably the one of the ones i'll use when i post on social media and stuff and it was um it's page 372 if you're not already okay. there um that was really interesting about it is that what i found with older comics is when I've read certain old comics, they feel very dated. And you read them and they, they're they quite pop-arty, I find, in the wrong ways sometimes. But I find that when you have an old-school comic, before, you know, everything could be digital, when you get, you know, earlier than – well, probably earlier than the 90s, really. But, like, when you get even earlier than that proper analog, some of the, the artistry and the, the detail I love – and on this page specifically, what's very interesting is two things. Is First of all is I really like the level of detailing in um, – all aspects of the page that you sent me, both the walker itself, but also the jungle planet and things. But one thing that I noticed is that the ATST in this panel obviously doesn't look like a normal ATST. This ATST is used in the new canon in Star Wars Rebels, which is set a few years before New Hope, which is the the predecessor to the ATST walker you see in, uh, I think Empire, but primarily in um, Jedi. In Return of the Jedi, you know, when they're in the yeah, yeah. when they're in the Endor, and you yeah. see, you know, and the, the, when I always think of ATST, I always just think of the Ewoks logs swinging yeah, and crashing yeah, his head. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what the first thing I think of with ATSTs, and this is, I, I, I think it's an ATRT if I'm remembering it right, but it's basically just the predecessor, of the Scout version predecessor to the ATST, and I'm looking at this is in a newspaper strip <laughs> written only a few years after um, Star Wars and Empire, if that. It's 1981. It's 81. Jeez. So that means it was probably written at the end of 80 and drawn at the end of... That's what I mean. Yeah. So, and, and I don't even know if you know, George Lucas said about doing this, or if it was just the artist, and they just went, look, we want to do an ATST, but let's make it look a little bit different. And they go, okay. Or maybe they were like, draw an ATST, and they just forgot what it looks like and drew this. And it's like, this is a spitting image of what they use in Star Wars Rebels. It's, it's basically, if anyone listening... Um, it's a, it's an ATST, so it's a box on legs. But on the side of the box, there's two. It almost looks like eyes, don't they? Like almost oh, eyes. Yeah, slits, yeah, yeah. Which where the the guns are kind of. I presume that a, a soldier with a weapon could poke a gun out of there. It's probably inspired by sort of you know war trenches when you've got the sort of um, I can't remember the terms yeah, are, but the holes the in the bunkers. walls. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. like the pillboxes. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just it's so amazing to see that so much. There there must be so much content now that me and new list a uh, new uh styles consumers go and go that's a brilliant idea kudos to that person who created it and then it goes oh no that was a star wars rebels from 2000 and like yeah 16 or whatever but you do realize it was in a newspaper strip in 81 it's like jesus 
it just gets to show like how much people need to go back and check out some of these old things of just the beauty and craziness of the of the rabbit the weirdness and stuff and seeing boba fett like there's so many cool layers in different ways there's almost like no matter what you like about star wars if you go back and consume the old stuff you'll find something that connects with you who, who was the animation director on that rebel series do you know I know Dave Filoni is the showrunner, but I do also know that they use a lot of Ralph McQuarrie concept art in Rebels. Okay. And I know that he's the main one who did like the artwork for Star Wars. Okay. So when you have – if you look at some of the original concept art um, for Star Wars, if I don't know how much you've seen of it, but there's a creature that looks a little bit like Chewie that isn't. Okay. And he's kind of got big eyes and like pointy ears and stuff. Um, I'll find the picture. Um, but basically – I would recommend Star Wars Rebels. It's excellent. <laughs> um, but uh, Dave Filoni is the, is the showrunner. He's the guy who basically was the overview of everything. I don't know specifically about animation. Why'd you ask? Sorry. I, I just I just wonder because if if you are an animator or a comic book artist, someone you're going to look at is Al Williamson. And this is an Al Williamson mm. pa- panel that we're talking about. And I either he got it from concept art that was already done, like you said, maybe, or somebody's looking back and going, man, I love those Al Williamson things. I want to, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, I, I love Al Williamson. Yeah. I want to pay homage to Al Williamson in this animated show by using his design yeah. of the ATRT that I guess you called it. I, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have remembered. What Wait, that's one of those things. <laughs> Well, I, I think it's ATRT. There's a. I know ATST is all terrain scout uh, transport, and then ATAT is all terrain armor transport yeah, yeah, and things, yeah. and then AT. Uh, no, I think ATRT might be the one in Revenge of the Sith. This is what I mean. I've got too much information <laughs> in my brain, but um, not. It's all post-it notes in there. But I was just going to show you just while we're on yeah, over yeah. here. So this is the original concept art, which I'm sure you've seen before. But like that's the original concept art. So you've got like. Um, that thing's meant to be Chewy, oh. and that down there is meant to be R2, right? Oh, okay. Now, look at the poster. Look at the poster for Star Wars Rebels. There's there's basically an R2 unit. He's yeah. got little arms sticking out there. Huh. There's a guy who looks a little bit more like Luke Starkiller, oh. and then that guy there, he's basically Chewy concept art, and they created a species for him. Oh, wow. And um, the character's called Zeb, and he's a Lasat. And the funny thing is... In universe, the Lasat species always get confused with Wookiees. But obviously, the genius of that is because the original concept <laughs> art for Chewbacca looks like a Lasat, and they change it to make it more like a dog, to make it more hairy. Right, right. So out of universe, the original concept art looks a bit like this. So in universe, they've cleverly made it so that the species always gets confused by the other one. And there's just loads of little bits like that that I just think... They're so cool. That- and there's so much Star Wars that I think comes from unused old stuff. Yeah. And I think that this conversation especially has shown how much and how much fun there is. Um, so I just want to say, like, it's uh, we've been chatting now for an hour and 40 minutes, which I feel like we probably could – this feels like about 20 minutes yeah, to me. Yeah. I feel like we could probably chat for another hour and 40 I, minutes. I am Easy. very verbose. I, I, I have the <laughs> gift of gab, as it, as it were. I, I can go on for a long time, so I'm often told – Same. That's my Okay, problem. we got to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll do then right i'll um i'll clap my hands and say we'll stop but let's just say um i want to say uh I'll, I'll let you have the sort of final statement of things before um before closing off here but i want to say <clears throat> obviously thank you for coming on the show i loved speaking with you one-on-one but i, I want to say to all the listeners please go check out classic comics because you will probably be like me which is when you heard the premise you don't Bluntly, you weren't sure, like, why would I want to listen to some stuff at Old School Comics? You really don't know what you're missing. Like, the the Daredevil one is the... Like, I've listened to it. Like, the original Batman one was quite cool. The Catman one was interesting. Uh, Miss Fury, you mentioned. The Human Torch one was really good. When you spoke about Human Torch and... Was it Submariner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I really like that story because you talk about the original Human Torch and things and how different he was. Like, so there's there's so many threads that you don't know... You didn't realise you wanted untangled until you listened to classic comics and you know the, the, just some of this stuff and the, the, the Captain America episode you did is really cool listening about some of the dialogue they use and the, the general like you did it as a special off episode but I think it's really cool of how you compared it to the first Avenger and I only watched the first Avenger about two weeks before <laughs> listening to that episode by chance so it was just it was really cool when I went on Marvel Unlimited and read the first Captain America comic while you were speaking about it because I was like when you explain certain parts I was like that sounds really cool I want to see that so 
I want to thank you because your show is amazing. And I want to say to all the listeners out here, please check out uh, Classic Comics. It's every other Monday on Comics in Motion and things. And you do a variety of episodes enough that makes it interesting. But also there are so many interesting aspects that one wouldn't expect without first hearing your show. So I think it was a really interesting way to kind of, not even necessarily an entry point, but it's just like opening a door of just like, oh, wow, there's so much stuff here to get into. So I want to thank you for that and just say, what are your sort of... Anything you didn't get to say in our conversation, feel free to say it now. And then last little plugs and stuff. And I'll, I'll include links in the description and stuff. But please. Um, uh, anything I didn't get to include. Um, uh, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anymore. We were, I was, I was, no I was on a roll. I was waxing uh, uh, about uh, how great some of the art was. Because, I, I, I mean, as much as I – as much fun as I had reading the stories and – experiencing a great amount of nostalgia for for star wars of of my youth because you know it's it's one of those Mm -hmm. seminal moments in uh people that are my age that saw star wars in the theater uh and were all caught up in it and then to be able to hear your show and rekindle some of that and and you know just for the record i i have read uh the star the darth vader book that you recommended uh that i was Oh, you know, wonderful. I did read that, and I really enjoyed uh, enjoyed that. I haven't gotten volume two yet, but but I I certainly plan to. Uh, and one of the things I noticed about that was it just that I, this doesn't have to be too. I'll try to make this short because I know. You know no, 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 there's no, you don't have to rush uh, okay. anything, please. I, I'm giving you the floor. Oh, oh, you don't okay. have to rush. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I I found that it felt much more cohesive in fitting into the star wars universe than so much of this other stuff does um but mm-hmm. and, and i found that the comics add to the uh the movie canon in ways that you can't do with the movies you're never gonna get mm-hmm. a one-off or a darth vader movie you know but you can mm-hmm. have a whole run of darth vader comics that work on developing his character and the particular comic we're talking about is what's it called I'm sure you remember is it Lord of the Sith or something like or it's uh, uh, yeah uh, Darth Vader I think it's Dark Lord of the Sith it's it. the 2017 run by Charles yes, Saul exactly so I got the first volume of that and it's it gives more about how he's dealing with becoming Vader after having you know just been Anakin and uh, that's something you just don't get enough of in the movies and then there's certain like action sequences that in a movie would be. You're never going to see Darth Vader jump around and leap and have this acrobatic quality, which he should, as a as a uh, as a Sith, because the, whoever's wearing that costume, you can't be uh, Ray Park in that costume like you can, you know, <laughs> when he's Darth Maul, you know, and you can't get that in that Darth Vader costume. So I really enjoy that that aspect of, of that book as well, and just how it. I mean, you almost you almost like Darth Vader when you read it. I mean, not totally, but you're it is a weird one, isn't it? You're just like, like you're like you are still like a genocidal maniac, but you are. Yeah. I feel for you a bit, don't you? Because you were a slave yeah. when you were a child, yeah. then you're a slave to the Jedi, and now you're a slave to basically the worst person in the entire yeah. universe. And, so, and it, it it makes it makes his character more complex, which is something I feel like the movies tried to do and wanted to do, and that was the basic idea of having him be Luke's father was to add some complexity and depth there, but it just never, I feel like plays out right in the movies. Whereas I feel like mm-hmm. the comics have the opportunity since they are not a two hour movie, it's multiple comics. You can really build that idea and develop it and show those uh, subtleties in his character that, you know, maybe eventually will be, will, you know, come out to turn him back to the light side at the very end, but it's just a, a very enjoyable journey. And uh, I really, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, and I wouldn't have read that had I not listened to your show and have you talk about some of those books and say how great they were and you know, hearing some of the uh, the other stories surrounding it. That if you didn't cover that just yet, because you hadn't when I when I read it, uh, but yeah, so that's mm-hmm. that was a uh, it's just something really different I find from the uh, the the legend stuff is that the the canon the new canon stuff seems to be so concise and fit so well with the official movies as opposed to some of the other stuff we've talked about is so much fun and nostalgic as it is it just goes that's not quite that's not quite right <laughs> pink bunny rabbits and cat ladies and all that stuff 
that's where Dr. Afra comes in. That there's a comic series which is Dr. Afra, and she first appeared in the first run of Vader comics, um, which is by Kieran Gillen. But that the first run of Kieran of of Vader comics are set between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, whereas the ones I recommend to you are set obviously just after uh, Revenge yeah. of the Sith, which I yeah. personally prefer. But I will be tackling them on my show soon. I keep teasing them because I went on Scott's <laughs> show and did Desert Island comics and two of the Vader comics in that run ah. there. And then I keep recommending it to people where people are like, when are you going to do the Vader <laughs> comics? Like, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So, but I'd say Dr. Aphra, when you finish the, the Darth Vader comics, she was introduced in the first run of Vader comics. She is the weird and wonderful side of Star Wars. There is a there is a there is a mold in one of the storylines with her that is force sensitive a mold it's this weird a mold so oh it's gosh. like this it's like a fungus okay. sort of thing it's this almost cloud fungus thing that is force sensitive it, it's really weird and i can't explain much more than that <laughs> because i'd be here for 20 minutes but and the, she goes there's another storyline where she finds this ancient crystal it's meant to be of this ancient uh, Jedi, and so she goes this big fuss to try and basically revive it, just to kind of see what the hell it does. Like that's her whole game. She just likes cool stuff, and she'll kill people. She's like a rogue archaeologist. She's she's like Indiana Jones, but morally flipped. And there are so many weird stories in there. There's so many crazy things. There's like brain uh, controlling parasites, force sensitive mold <laughs> fungus stuff. There's ancient Jedi that are actually really the brain of an AI robot com- uh, copying a Jedi that's been going insane for like 5,000 years. Uh, it's like the, and that's got technop- technopathy, I think it is, which is the ability to control all machines. This is, that's one arc. That's one story <laughs> arc. It is, me- and Vader pops in now every now and then to cause <laughs> havoc. But Dr. Aphrod says the comics are the weird and the wonderful. The Darth Vader are sort of the cream of the crop. All the other stuff, like the main run of Star Wars comics with Lando, uh, Lando, with Luke, Han, and Leia, they're the ones which are like, there's a couple of cool stories in there and they're fun, but they definitely feel like that. They're kind of just going for the sake of going right. in a way. You know what I mean? Like they're not, there's, there's certain arcs where you're like, this isn't actually adding anything really. You're just having the three of these people vaguely do stuff together. I, I think that where, some of the arcs are brilliant. I, I think part of the problem may be the fact that there's so much that's been done with those characters already in the movies whereas if yeah. you're not able you know darth vader we, we know where he goes but we don't know how he gets from point a to point b you know so there's a lot you can tell whereas with luke and han and leia we all kind of know how they get from point a to point b already and you can tell like a side adventure but you can't tell anything really deeper about their character or anything because we already know that from from the from the movies and it's it's like that's why you need other characters like dr afra and these other characters that they've created for the comics only because without them you can't tell any better stories if you know it like like the the main star wars comics i would think with luke and leia and han are are limited in that respect whereas at least here some of the old stuff before empire came out those guys those comic uh, artists and writers they they had a lot to work with i mean this like we said earlier they're, they're talking about luke and leia having you know being romantically interested you know and that's something that we definitely can't have later on now i don't know if, no. if <laughs> i don't know if they were uh writing about that uh because uh they were skirting the edges because they, they knew already or or they didn't know and they just did it because it seemed natural having seen the first movie you know because it's it is a natural love triangle in the first movie it's you know han the the roguish you know you know bad boy who is probably going to be more attractive to the woman it's it's a it's a trope that goes back for centuries but uh and then you have uh luke the nice kid who doesn't really get the attention because he's nice and you know but he's the one that's really the best for her you know and that's how we would imagine that would have played <laughs> out uh just watching the star wars movie in a in a vacuum uh you can feel that's what they're working with kind of but lucas has never been good with that kind of thing so it's just it's just hinted at barely and you know so the comic writers jump on that i think and they 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 want to they see that and they go oh, we can really develop this and make it interesting we maybe can't you know consummate anything and i don't mean that in the technical sense either but you know they they know they can just 
work with that and have that as a as a theme that you can play back and forth with and, and make it interesting to make it a little bit deeper than just let's go stop the empire. Let's go find the new base. <laughs> let's go, you know, I don't, you know, let's go save somebody. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that that is a lot of it. The, the, the comics they do they they add certain layers like Akbar's in some of the comics and stuff, which is quite cool. But there's a lot of just little bits. There's no like big. There, there is a big story that says like I'm taking away from the creators, but the Star Wars comics, a lot of them are good. There's no bad ones in the new canon. Most of them are just okay, but there's a couple of gems. Um, but yeah, let's final thoughts then, Matt. Say your final statement because I'll get wrapped up in another conversation again otherwise. <laughs> and. Because I, I really need a wee now, so that's the real reason now that I need to go. Uh, that and Megan's messaging me saying, did it, ready? I, I, but I, did that please Tony, tell us. I did that to Tony too and kept him on for another half hour. <laughs> no, uh, g- genuinely, normally I'm 100% up for that, but my bladder is in pain. But you've got you've only got five minutes before I wet myself. That's okay. So don't rush. I, I am joking. Don't rush. But yeah, tell everyone the last final thoughts. Um, <laughs> don't rush. Well, you know an issue number five. <laughs> Let's go back to the very first issue of Star Wars from Marvel in 1977. Now, remember that first panel and the opening? No, um, no I, I had a great time, Mike. I really did. And I, I can talk forever about stuff that I, I love. And obviously, you can tell I have a lot of love for comics and my childhood enjoyment of Star Wars is is not over. It's it's still there. I'm just experiencing it in a new way. Um mm. uh, I, I so I really I really had a great time talking. Uh yeah, and you know, anytime we want to talk about Star Wars or something else, again I'm I'm obviously totally up for it. Um and thank, <laughs> so thank you for so much for having me and uh um uh, oh where can you find me? That's probably what you want. That's the the final stuff. Where can you find me on the internet? Um DC Comics News with weekly comic reviews. Uh and then, of course, Classic Comics on the Comics and Motion Network. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Lloyd Comics. You can follow me personally on Twitter, at Matt B underscore Lloyd. I also will do a lot with music on my uh, uh, personal Twitter uh, handle outside of comics, just because that's my other passion. Uh, you can also follow the show uh, or ask questions of me on the show at an email address, ClassicComicsNBL at gmail.com. And, of course many podcast appearances guesting on the comics in motion network and other words there there's so there's so many now i can't keep track <laughs> the same with me i've literally got i think i've got like in my show notes for genuine chit chat and styles comics and i've only got four or so just lines of like i guessed it on blah blah blah's podcast here's the link and then every now and then i just have to kind of like be like right i have to color a few of these because i can't have 12 guest spots that I've done in the last month all filling up the description that can't be the only thing I totally get that but yeah um this was so much fun Matt and what we'll have to do is you'll have to come back on the show uh in a few months time and then what we'll do is we'll basically have the same conversation again um not about this specifically but we'll just have this as jumping off point because it will be quite cool is if we both um by that point if I've read some Legends comics or if you have a recommendation or something because I've got I've got Marvel Unlimited I'm pretty certain a lot of the old school Star Wars stuff is on there um so can always just have that as a starting point and then talk about your other stuff because like I, I knew when talking with you we'd be able to easily talk for two hours so there's certain questions that I didn't even bring up like I told you I had those four <laughs> notes we spoke about one of them <laughs> so so that so we've actually only done one quarter of the amount of topical conversations we can have for half a page of notes that i've done so you're gonna have like at least another you know three appearances in the next year or so so you know i'll, I'll definitely have you on again we'll talk more about classic comics how you got into them and stuff and stars will probably come up because in most conversations i have i somehow managed to slip it in or my guest does it's it's quite rare it doesn't come up in some way normally like to throw a little star metaphor in there someplace just just for the fun of it um i'll include a link to uh well in the description i'll put both your twitter handles and more details about your show all those other wonderful things but yeah it, it's been so much fun chatting with you matt seriously it, I'm it's here, man. I'm just, here. to chat about stars the the fun things and the silly things and it's great to talk with someone and the one thing i really appreciate about you and you're one of my favorite kind of guests on the show is that you are so passionate about what you like and that's what i want i want people to come on the show and tell me what they're passionate about and although this is very star wars centric listening to you talk about classic comics was really cool so when you come on the show again in a few months time whatever we'll get it sorted and we'll aim a bit more on classic comics because i think hopefully some of my listeners now will be like oh let's go listen to- <laughs> go listen to classic comics guys yeah, seriously go, listen, go check go them listen. out <laughs> yeah exactly and then when matt returns you'll then have that you know a bit more context to certain things so yeah once again just Thank you so much, Matt. Genuinely, it's it's been so much fun having you on. 
I had a great time. I'm happy to talk anytime, anytime. Thank you. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. Make sure you go give Matt B. Lloyd all the love in the world because, you know, this podcast was so much fun to do and it was so much fun having him on as well. And I can't wait to have him on in the future as well to talk about Golden Age stuff that isn't specifically about Star Wars. But if you do want to know about classic comics and Golden Age comics, it is a really, really interesting place to go into. And Matt's show on Comics in Motion it airs every other Monday, and which is where my Star Wars podcast airs, the feed of comics in motion anyway you listen to genuine chit chat you should be able to find comics in motion on there and yeah classic comics is is really really interesting i really recommend you guys go check that out so what have you got in the pipeline then what have we got recorded so i've actually got a few things recorded uh since we last spoke because i've been very busy the last two weeks uh so i have got i've got tom everett who came on a couple weeks ago he came on again and i've got a two-parter recorded with him um about stagecraft and a few other bits and pieces along those lines so that'll be released later because i don't want to release it too close to the other episode i did with him i've got a the next week's one is probably going to be my episode with golf uh golf of beer nuts productions he's been on the show three or four times now he's got a new comedy film out that's really interesting to talk about and he also recently started a podcast so we spoke about that for quite a lot of the episode so if you want to hear about a blind australian gentleman starting up his own podcast who's got his own film production company then make sure you tune in next week because that's going to be the conversation uh the week after that i have got a two-parter recorded with the bassist and the vocalist of a band called royals now royals are a pop punk band so they're fairly local to me and they are releasing an ep it will be at the time of this recording it will be in about two weeks time but what i'm planning on doing is releasing part one of my chat of royals the week before their ep release and then part two will be released after their ep has been released so it's kind of my releases are going to be on either side of their release like a nice little sandwich so we speak about pop punk and the diversity in the genre and songwriting and all those usual things but if any of you guys want to go check out royals before listening it, i'd really recommend it there's some really really good songs out there you can find them on spotify and youtube and all that sort of stuff their recent single is jaded but i think my favorite songs of theirs i mean they've got worldwide catastrophe that's amazing out of reach that's amazing fairweather friend that's amazing and that my favorite song of theirs probably is gone and that's going to be the last single they release with this ep but go check them out on spotify or anything if you haven't listened to it if you're not a big fan of pop punk still go listen to it because you know i'm not overly the biggest fan of pop punk in general but they're really catchy they're a lot of fun and out of reach is a hard song not to like so that's going to be royals then the week after that I'm likely going to release the episode that I recorded literally a couple of hours ago with a gentleman named Michael McCormick. Now, Michael McCormick is a puppeteer. Now, he actually did the puppet work for, or at least a chunk of the puppet work for Dark Crystal. He did a lot of the puppet work for Labyrinth. He created the character Salacious Crumb, the little Kowakian monkey lizard that cackles a lot in Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi. And he's just been involved with quite a few cool things. And he does a lot of Punch and Judy stuff, which I know people in the UK will know what punch and judy is so he's done a lot of those and we had a really really good conversation and we sh- we spoke over skype and i've recorded our video element and he said he's happy for me to use it so i'm gonna on youtube i'll be releasing probably the episode all in one go and it's gonna be showing him with the puppets and things i may end up releasing it in two parts i haven't fully made my mind up about that it's quite a long conversation about an hour and a half long uh, one hour and 45 minutes long um so I'm, I'm kind of on the fence i'll figure that out when i kind of come to it and depends how busy i am at the time but i should be releasing that on youtube with video because he he showed some of the puppets he uses he showed there's actually a puppet he used specifically in labyrinth that he made that is actually in the film uh, which is really cool he showed me that he showed me the punch and judy stuff that he had was cool as well there's just a lot of really interesting aspects of puppetry that i think people don't really appreciate and yeah michael mccormick is an expert in that so it was really really cool chatting to the bloke he's a really really nice guy and he wants to come on the show again at some point and he's got other things in the pipeline so that is really everything i've got recorded at the moment i've still got other things on the list to be recorded um things booked in with other people and other things that i'm just kind of waiting for a date to be booked in as well but i'm busy there's a lot of stuff if i stop podcasting now you guys would still have content for the next like six weeks so you know all good in that regard uh, aside from that the only other thing to say about are my patreon and my star wars show patreon.com slash genuine chit chat go there right now you can listen to me and megan's afterthought shows completely for free uh the 
Witcher Series 1 and Star Wars The Phantom Menace are up there now completely for free. Episodes, new ones of those get released every week. Normally it's two a week. And also if you donate as or if you pay as little as £1 a month, which is, in my opinion, very, very little. But if you donate that tiny amount of money, you get access to part two of Genuine Chit Chats a week early. You get them on a feed with complete unsplit episodes. And also you get access to our Afterthoughts show, which is what I just mentioned, which is me and Megan talking about movies and series that we've watched. We watch some classic movies. We watch some new movies. We watch some documentaries. We watch some series. We tackle quite a lot of variety of things. So if you fancy a movie and TV podcast that the episodes are only like 10 to 20 minutes long, then it's a really good thing because I'm quite a nerd. Megan's not as nerdy in things. And we do disagree on films quite a lot, which is quite refreshing. So she quite likes some of the chick flick films a bit more. I like some of the sci-fi films a bit more. We actually just recorded an episode on Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and she really didn't like Dark Crystal and really liked Labyrinth. So it's quite interesting those sort of dynamics and things. I mean, that will be released probably in June sort of time, that that episode of Afterthoughts. But if you guys are willing to pay me £1 a month, it would mean the absolute world to me and you get access to the link which has got the feed. So you just put the feed in your podcast app and then you get access to all the early genuine chit-chat stuff and all the episodes of Afterthoughts. And then there's my Star Wars show. Go over to Comics in Motion. I mean, if you listen to this, um, if you have genuinely just listened to this whole podcast and you don't know I have a Star Wars podcast, then shame on you. Go listen to my Star Wars podcast. It's good Star Wars comics in canon. I tackle each Star Wars comic. Uh, I go through miniseries, one-shots, and ongoing series. I go through the narratives. I explain what happens in the story. I do connections, who certain characters are, planets, uh, species, all kinds of connections and things. So if you ever read a comic and you go, that character kind of looks familiar. Who is this Ochi of Bestoon? Or who is this character? and you don't know well I do a read I, oh, I read through I go through the comic and I basically tell you who people are uh, so that's a lot of fun it's really good if you've never read a comic before it's a good entry point to comics and I tell you the story so it, it's not imperative to read the comic but I don't read all the dialogue I don't go through every single explicit detail so if it's a good way to listen to me talk about a few comics and if it sounds like your kind of thing then you can pick up some of the comics or you can just listen to my show never touch a Star Wars comic but still have the knowledge of the narratives in place that come from the comics as well as no, loads of other, you know, bonus bits of information. I've done a whole episode on Count Dooku, a whole episode on Darth Maul, like how he survives, all these sort of things. So, you know, check out my Star Wars podcast on Comics and Motion. It's also on the YouTube. It's on uh, Genuine Chit Chat's YouTube channel. I've started putting things in playlists on there as well. So you can go to Genuine Chit Chat you know, on YouTube. You can go to Comics and Motion on any of the usual places you're listening to this. And check out my Patreon for free stuff if you don't want to give me any money. But if you do then you can get even more stuff. And uh, if you don't want to support the show financially, please review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast, share on social media, tell your friends, or even just shout me out on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any social media. It generally means the absolute world when any of you guys do that. Anyway, guys, enough from me. Thank you so much for listening as always. Make sure you subscribe so you can keep an eye out to all the other people I've got on coming over the next few weeks and months. And as always, guys, just thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.